This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. Today in the Yonkazine Brief, we're talking with Dr. Gisla Swap, President, Product Development and Medical Affairs and Chief Medical Officer at Axelixis. In our interview with Dr. Swap, we're talking about her company and about the products the company is developing for the treatment of hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC, a form of liver cancer. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is the Yonkazine Brief. The company discovered and developed its lead compounds, cabozantinib and cobimetinib, and advanced them into clinical development before entering into partnerships with leading biopharmaceutical companies in an effort to bring these medicines to patients globally. Earlier this month, we interviewed Dr. Gisela Schwab, the company's president, product development and medical affairs, and chief medical officer. Let's listen. Dr. Schwab, you've joined Axelixis in 2006 and served in a number of jobs until your appointment in February 2016 to become the company's president, product development and medical affairs and chief medical officer. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and about the company. Sure. Um, thank you uh, for having me. Um, uh, I am um, the president and of product development, chief medical officer at Exelixis. And as you said, um, um, I've joined the company in 2006. I, um, by training, a, a medical oncologist and hematologist. Um, I trained in uh, Germany and in the United States, and then. Uh, after my clinical training, joined industry um, and served in a variety of uh, positions at Amgen and Epigenix, and now th- since 2006 at Exelixis. Exelixis is a uh, biopharmaceutical company um, that is focused on uh, direct development um, for cancer. Um, and Exelixis has a number of products that come from its own discovery that are um, uh, commercialized. Amongst those are carbozantinib um, as a generic, as a um, the product name um, Carbometics um, for renal cell cancer uh, and Cometric for medullary thyroid cancer. And in collaboration with um, Genentech Roche, we also um, have a Cotelic, which is a MEK inhibitor that comes from the development um, and discovery of Exelixis. That's indeed a handful of products. Now, your company is involved in the development of a treatment for hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC. Tell me a little bit more about the treatment of advanced hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC, and the unmet medical needs in this particular disease. Sure. Um, yes, uh, hepatocellular carcinoma is actually a highly prevalent disease uh, worldwide with um, uh, over 800,000 new cases diagnosed each year worldwide and 700,000 deaths annually. So it's a a very significant um, uh, and life-threatening disease. Uh, And it has a high unmet medical need. In the United States, the incidence of liver cancer has increased, has tripled since the, the 1980s. Um, and hepatocellular cancer is the most common form of liver cancer, making up about three quarters of the estimated 42,000 new cases of liver cancer in the United States in 2018, or to be expected in 2018. 
So it is a very fast rising uh, cause of cancer related death in the United States. Um, and without treatment, without any treatment, uh, patients with advanced liver cancer and HCC in particular um, survive uh, less than uh, about six to eight months. Um, now, over the uh, past uh, many years, there has been only one um, systemic treatment available, and that is uh, sorafenib, which was approved in, in the first-line treatment of uh, HCC uh, more than a decade ago. And then uh, there was a long period of dearth of um, uh, new um, uh, compounds um, in this disease space. Many, many uh, drugs have been evaluated and have failed in this disease space, particularly in the second line um, setting when uh, patients had uh, progressed after sorafenib. Now, the last year has seen um, um, some uh, drugs succeed. Regorafenib um, has succeeded uh, with an improved survival um, trial um, in um, the second line space after patients had progressed um, on prior sorafenib, um, and that uh, led to the approval of regorafenib in the United States and um, now also elsewhere. And then um, a new compound, uh, nivolumab, an immune checkpoint inhibitor, has achieved uh, accelerated approval in the United States uh, on the basis of durable response rates in this disease setting. So there have been, has been some progress, um, uh, but clearly additional uh, compounds are needed um, as this is a significant unmet medical need. Hepatocellular carcinoma is often confused with metastatic liver cancer. However, these two diseases are not the same. Can you explain? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so um, the the liver can be affected um, in the context of other malignant diseases, um, and that is then called um, often liver metastases that occur. Um, secondary um, uh, secondary sites of disease um, in uh, patients with other cancers, such as, for instance, colorectal cancer or or lung cancer or other um, uh, cancers that that uh, people are familiar with. Now, that is not the form we're talking about. Um, the form uh, that we're talking about, hepatocellular cancer, is um, originating in the liver. Um, and growing in the liver, but can also spread into other organs um, and uh, cause problems through that um, spread itself. Um, so there are different forms, certainly, but uh, hepatocellular cancer originates in the liver. Earlier this year, your company presented detailed results from a pivotal phase three clinical trial called the Celestial Trial. This involved carbozantinib, a drug that you're developing. The trial met its primary endpoint by demonstrating a statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvement in overall survival versus placebo in patients who were previously treated with advanced hepatocellular carcinoma. In March 2017, the United States Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, granted orphan drug designation to carbozantinib for the treatment of advanced hepatocellular carcinoma. And based on the data presented in the 2018 ASCO GI Symposium, you're planning to submit a supplemental new drug application to the FDA for carbozantinib for the treatment of advanced HCC in the first quarter of 2018. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about this process and what you're expecting? Absolutely. So cabozantinib is a, a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. It's a small molecule drug that inhibits multiple important pathways in cancer. And those are uh, called the VEGF um, pathway um, uh, molecules. VEGF are one, two, and three, as well as MET and Axel. And and these are um, pathways that are involved in the um, proliferation and um, metastatic spread and angiogenesis, so formation of uh, vessels um, that support the tumor. So these are important pathways. Um, when inhibited, uh, can potentially um, limit the tumor growth um, or even shrink the tumor. So with uh, cabozantinib, um, we have um, evaluated uh, the compound in um, HCC in a large um, randomized phase three trial uh, in the setting um, of um, previously treated uh, patients who had received prior serafinib but could have received additional other systemic therapies, up to two in, in total. Um, and uh, patients, um, more than 700 patients were randomized to receive either cabozantinib as their treatment or placebo. Given that when we started the trial, there was no active um, uh, available uh, compound um, uh, there for the patient population. So it's a placebo-controlled large trial uh, with the primary endpoint of uh, determining um, overall survival and an improvement in overall survival on cabozantinib versus placebo. Okay, let's take a short break here, and then we talk some more. This is the Oncocene Brief, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Dr. Gisela Swap, President, Product Development and Medical Affairs and Chief Medical Officer at Axelixis. Dr. Swap, you've mentioned that the drug that your company is developing offers an improvement versus placebo. Is it correct to understand that in cancer treatment, a placebo is always the standard of care? Uh, well, it is. Uh, that is um, actually not the case. In in a cancer trial in a patient population where there is no available standard of care, which is the case in this um, second or later line treatment of um, liver cancer, which was the case at the time that we started the trial. Um, in order to demonstrate improvement over uh, just best supportive care, so nutrition and, and pain control and so on, um, one runs randomized controlled trials and um, in this particular setting, placebo controlled trials to really without any doubt demonstrate um, uh, a benefit if there is one. Um, at the end of the study, and so that's exactly what we've done. Um, and as I mentioned, cabozantinib clearly showed a benefit in these endpoints and extended overall survival and also progression-free survival compared to that uh, comparative placebo. And that is in the case if there is no uh, real treatment available for uh, the disease that you're dealing with? Yes. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the celestial trial. Based on the result of this trial, which is a pivotal phase three trial, um, you are now submitting a supplemental new drug application to uh, the FDA. 
So what does that mean and um, what do these findings actually show? That is correct. We are working very hard on the um, uh, documentation that is necessary to submit a supplemental NDA to the FDA. Um, and we've um, uh, set the goal and are working towards completing that filing in the first quarter of this year, so very shortly. Um, and um, in terms of the um, expectations, if all goes well, um, if um, a supplemental NDA is granted a priority review, which is often the case in life-threatening diseases, um, the, re the review time typically um, at the FDA is six months. Um, uh, so that would be um, the hope. And uh, the regular review, just for reference, is 10 months. There are a number of treatment options available for HCC. Uh, one of the drugs is Nexavar, which is being developed by Bayer, and I think it's combination with Onyx. And then you have uh, other drugs called uh, Student, uh, which is uh, developed by Pfizer. So where does your drug fit in? Well, the, the clinical trial showed benefit in uh, patients with previously treated um, hepatocellular cancer. And the previous therapy could have included or must have included sorafenib and could have included one additional therapy. And often that was in the case of the study, experimental therapy. So um, really that's the space where the drug fits in um, in patients who have received prior therapy, systemic therapy for their disease. Um, in that space, as I mentioned earlier, there's also um, uh, approved uh, drugs uh, such as regorafenib and uh, nivolumab now in the U.S. So um, more treatment options really for um, patients with previously treated HCC um, if cabozantinib is approved. Now let's talk a little bit further about the drug, about uh, the trial. Uh, what makes uh, this drug and uh, the results actually of the trial may show that so unique? Well, I think first of all, um, it is um, one of the few compounds that have shown now uh, benefit in this very difficult to treat cancer. Um, and that is, um, I think, noteworthy. Um, I think secondly, when we look at the patient population, um, we designed the study such that we could include uh, uh, patients um, that are um, uh, indicative of uh, the real world uh, patient population, so patients who have received um, prior sorafenib but could have received other treatments as well, um, up to two prior therapies. Um, we did not specify um, whether they had to be tolerant to serafinib or not. So it was a somewhat inclusive patient population, which um, makes it um, easier translatable, if you will, to real-world um, patient experience um, and um, uh, indicative of how um, the drug, if and when um, uh, used in the commercial setting, uh, once approved, um, could be utilized. So you mentioned uh, something really interesting here. You mentioned real-world experience. Um, so how does what you see in the trial translate to what a doctor may uh, actually see in his or her practice? Well, I think, uh, as I mentioned, the the uh, patient population is one that is a very uh, has been one that is very characteristic of previously treated HCC patients, and that is what a 
physician um, uh, treating HCC or liver cancer patients um, is confronted with every day in their in their practice, and so that makes it um, potentially directly applicable um, when looking at the trial results. Um, uh, the um, the trial results can be translated uh, directly into the uh, patient population that um, is seen in the um, uh, physician's practice. Well, hopefully we will see some uh, good results coming from this. Now, there is this thing about uh, clinical trials and about trial design and the results of clinical trials and trial design. Can you um, explain a little bit about the clinical trial design in a celestial trial and the results and what your expectations are in this particular case? Yeah, um, so it is a um, celestial trial was a uh, large trial, um, uh, over 700 patients included, um, and was conducted globally uh, in, in the United States, or, uh, Europe, um, as well as Asia. Um, and I think that is uh, obviously very important um, because uh, treatment strategies and supportive care may vary uh, a little bit um, from region to region. Um, the way we designed the study is that we stratified to make sure that um, we have balance between treatment arms. We stratified by geographic region, um, Asia versus other regions. Uh, we also stratified by etiology, as you know, um, uh, liver cancer or HCC arises um, on the background of um, oftentimes um, a viral etiology, that is hepatitis C and hepatitis B, but also other uh, reasons such as alcohol-induced uh, liver damage or um, uh, fatty liver uh, disease. Um, uh, so that's a, um, uh, you know, important to to recognize, and we stratified based upon these etiologies, um, in addition to geography and extent of disease. So, uh, and that is uh, extent of disease was uh, determined by extrahepatic spread. So. Um, growth of, of cancer beyond the liver um, with uh, metastatic spread or invasion of larger vessels. Um, that is the case um, in the liver oftentimes as, as the liver is uh, there are large vessels feeding into the liver. So macrovascular disease was also um, uh, along with extra hepatic spread a um, stratification factor. So um, I think the, the importance here is that we designed the, the trial such that it was large enough and balanced between treatment arms with respect to the characteristics of the disease and the patient population. The celestial trial employed the RESIST 1.1 assessment for objective response rather than a non-validated M-RESIST approach, which has not been fully endorsed by the regulatory agencies. Can you tell me a little bit about that uh, and the impact on the trial and the trial results? Yeah, so uh, RESIST 1.1 is um, a very standard approach of measuring uh, tumors, um, and the size of tumors and the, the target lesions. Um, that is very, very uh, established across different tumor types and is, um, physicians, oncologists, and radiologists are very familiar with that um, type of measuring a tumor size and following tumor size uh, throughout the um, treatment of a patient. Um, 
there um, and and just to add in this particular trial we used resist 1.1 because of um, the familiarity of of all physicians or many physicians with um this type of measurement um and uh the standard and that exists across many many sites okay let's take a little break here This is the Youngers in Brief, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Dr. Gisela Swap, President, Product Development and Medical Affairs, and Chief Medical Officer at Axelixis. So you're now um, involved in the registration of uh, your drug um, in the United States with the FDA. What are your plans in Europe and uh, maybe in Asia? Right. Um, so Exelixis has partnerships in other areas in the world, um, and um, in particular in, um, in Europe and the rest of the world, we have a partnership with Ipsen um, Pharma, uh, who are the marketing authorization holder for Carbometrics in, um, in Europe, and uh, in Japan with Takeda. Uh, so um, the next steps here would entail that the data sets that we have generated are shared with our partners and uh, they pursue um, the path that um, is appropriate for their territories. Um, the um, uh, colleagues from Ipsen and uh, the partners have indicated that they are in, uh, intending to also file with these data sets um, with the EMA uh, in the first half of 2018. So when uh, you look at uh, the drugs that you're developing um, and you look at a disease like hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, what are you and your company planning for the future? Yeah, I think that is a very important question, and it is uh, really encouraging that now there are um, uh, more active compounds in um, HCC. And um, certainly when we think about the cabozantinib next steps in HCC, we are uh, considering combinations uh, with other compounds. Um, and in particular, um, cabozantinib is a, a good combination partner for immune checkpoint inhibitors as it results in a more immune-permissive environment um, in the tumor. And um, uh, given that both carbazantinib and nivolumab have now shown um, activity in the clinic in patients with advanced uh, liver cancer, uh, we are actively um, evaluating this combination um, uh, in, together with uh, BMS in a, um, a study called Checkmate 040, where carbazantinib and nivolumab or carbazantinib, nivolumab and ipilimumab um, are studied in combination uh, with the uh, aim in this early phase study to understand the safety profile, but also preliminary activity um, in this disease. Um, you've mentioned uh, checkpoint inhibitors. Can you briefly explain what uh, those drugs are and uh, what they do? So checkpoint inhibitors are um, antibody um, uh, molecules, uh, drugs that um, have uh, shown activity in a variety of tumor types and what they basically 
um, allow is for the immune system um, to be unleashed, if you will, towards the tumor, to for the immune system to recognize and um, uh, deal with uh, cancer cells um, uh, in broad brushstrokes. Um, and these uh, molecules um, have shown activity in um, different tumor types, including in liver cancer, as I mentioned. Nivolumab is one such um, molecule. So this year you uh, are planning to or submitting a new drug application for carbozantinib uh, in uh, hepatocellular carcinoma. Are you also looking outside of this particular disease area for uh, the same drug or maybe additional drugs? We are um, actively engaged in a broad development program. And uh, I think um, uh, important to mention is our uh, activity in um, kidney cancer. So um, carbozantinib has shown very um, nice activity in um, kidney cancer where the drug is approved and has been first approved in 2016 in patients with previously treated um, kidney cancer. Um, and that now in December of 2017 has been expanded to also include patients with previously untreated renal cell cancer, so the first-line setting of, of um, renal cell cancer. And um, uh, this has been achieved on the basis of uh, two randomized trials, one in the second or later line setting and the more recent one, Kavusan, in the um, first line setting. So that's uh, certainly an area of um, activity and focus, but Kavusantinib has in its earlier uh, development program also shown activity with tumor responses in a wide variety of tumor types. Um, and we are pursuing further studies uh, evaluating carbozantinib as a single agent in various different tumor types, um, as well as in combination with immune checkpoint inhibitors and other molecules. Um, and one uh, example I mentioned already, which is the uh, evaluation with nivolumab and ipilimumab in liver cancer, we are also engaged with uh, Bristol Myers um, in a phase three study in renal cell cancer in the first line setting, um, evaluating carbozantinib with uh, checkpoint inhibitors, um, and in further evaluation of carbozantinib in combination with atezolizumab um, in collaboration with Roche um, uh, in a variety of tumor types, including. Um, non-small cell lung cancer, but also um, genitourinary cancers. Now, switching gears a bit, in the treatment of cancer, we often uh, hear people, physicians, talk about personalized medicine, precision medicine, and targeted therapy. And in many cases, the definitions we get or they, they give are different. From your perspective, what is personalized medicine, precision medicine, and targeted therapy? And more important, what are the key differences and how does it affect the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I think um, when you think about targeted therapy, um, I think it's important to recognize that uh, cancer cells are often different from normal cells um, with respect to you know the expression of certain molecules on the surface of the of the cancer cells or the genetic make and or the genetic makeup of the the cancer cell where you can find um, genetic alterations that are particular to a specific cancer um, 
uh, or subset of cancers. So targeting these alterations um, with um, small molecules or large molecules um, um, is really what I would understand and, and define as targeted therapy. And in the case of uh, cabozantinib, um, we are in a position to target multiple such um, targets and pathways, as I mentioned earlier, including MET, Axel, and the VEGFR um, uh, molecules that are implicated in cancer growth um, and um, vascularization uh, and metastasis. And so um, that really is, um, I think, targeted therapy. Now, in summing up, in kind of summarizing, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the drug uh, that you're developing and uh, the benefits of the patients and maybe some of the exciting things uh, people may be looking forward to or actually when a drug like cabozantinib is actually available um, in the clinic? So I think, uh, you know, just to summarize for the results uh, with cabozantinib in the celestial trial, which is a, a phase three uh, large trial. Um, the benefits really that we have seen and that have been now presented uh, publicly uh, show an overall survival benefit um, for cabozantinib in this very difficult to treat cancer type um, and previously treated uh, patients with um, HCC. And that is supported uh, and consistently observed in the other endpoints, including progression-free survival um, and response rate. Um, and um, the um, uh, compound clearly showed benefit across all of these endpoints. Um, in terms of when um, this compound can be expected to be available more broadly um, uh, in the in the marketplace, um, we have, uh, uh, as we've discussed earlier, um, we have plans to file a supplemental NDA for. Um, this uh, indication in the United States in the first um, quarter of 2018 and would hope, um, provided um, the review is um, uh, favorable, that uh, the compound would be available for patients uh, later in 2018. Thank you, Dr. Swap. Thank you. After the break, we'll be back with more information about the staging of cancer and why staging cancer and hepatocellular carcinoma is more complex. And welcome back to the Oncosine Brief with Peter Hoffland and me, Sonia Portillo. In today's program, we spoke with Dr. Gisela Schwab, President, Product Development and Medical Affairs, and Chief Medical Officer at Excellus about the company she works for and about hepatocellular carcinoma, a difficult-to-treat cancer. Hepatocellular carcinoma is the most common primary malignancy of the liver. It's the fifth most common cancer in men worldwide and seventh among women with the highest incidence in Asian and developing countries. The disease is diagnosed in over half a million people per year worldwide. It is also the second leading cause of cancer-related mortality in the world. Chronic liver disease due to hepatitis B virus or hepatitis C virus accounts for the majority of the hepa hepatocellular carcinoma cases. Cancer in general can cause many different symptoms. If a patient is diagnosed with cancer, the doctor will order a set of tests or procedures to figure out the stage of the cancer. 
Stage refers to the extent cancer is present and is based on factors such as how large the tumor or cancer is and if it has spread or metastasized. Once the doctor knows the stage of the cancer, he or she will be able to suggest the best treatment and discuss the prognosis with his or her patient. Understanding the cancer and knowing what to expect can help a patient and his or her loved ones feel more in control and cope with the diagnosis. Cancer staging is the process of determining how much cancer is in the body and where it is located. Staging generally describes the severity of an individual's cancer based on the magnitude of the original cancer, which is also known as the primary cancer, as well as on the extent the cancer has spread, or metastasized, throughout the body. These stages indicate larger cancers or tumors that have grown more deeply into nearby tissue or other organs. Cancer may have also spread to lymph nodes. Knowing the stage of cancer helps doctors to understand how serious a cancer is, as well as estimate the chances of survival. It also helps doctors to plan the best treatment for his or her patient, and it helps them identify clinical trials that may be the best treatment option. Often unknown to most patients is the fact that the cancer is always referred to by the stage it was given at diagnosis, even if it gets worse or spreads. New information about how a cancer is changed over time gets added on to the original stage. So the stage doesn't change, even though the cancer might. But how do doctors stage cancer? There are many different staging systems. Some, such as the TNM staging system, are used for many types of cancer. Others are specific to a particular type of cancer. Most staging systems include information about where the tumor is located in the body, the cell type, such as adenocarcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma, the size of the tumor, and whether the cancer has spread to nearby lymph nodes or to a different part of the body as well as the tumor grade, which refers to how abnormal the cancer cell looks and how likely the tumor is to grow and spread. The TNN system is the most widely used cancer staging system in the world. Most hospitals and medical centers use the TNM system as their main method for cancer reporting. Unless a patient has a cancer for which a different staging system is used, the TNM system is used to describe the cancer in the pathology report. Examples of cancers with different staging systems include brain and spinal cord tumors and blood cancers. In the TNM system, the letter T refers to the size and extent of the main tumor. The main tumor is usually called the primary tumor. N refers to the number of nearby lymph nodes to which the cancer is spread, and finally, M refers to whether the cancer has metastasized. This means that the cancer is spread from the primary tumor to other parts of the body. In some cases, so-called TNM combinations are presented into five less detailed stages. For example, a doctor or a nurse may describe one of these stages as stage 0 or O, which means that abnormal cells are present, but these cells have not spread to nearby tissues. This is also called carcinoma in situ, or CIS. Carcinoma in situ is not cancer, but it may become cancer. In stage 1, 2, and 3, cancer is present. In these cases, the higher the number, the larger the cancer, and the more it has spread into nearby tissues. Stage 4 generally refers to cancer which has spread to distant parts of the body. Generally, stage 4 is called advanced or metastatic cancer. Another staging system that is used for all types of cancer groups the cancer into one of five main categories. This staging system is most often used by cancer registries than by doctors, but a doctor or nurse may also describe a cancer in one of the following ways. 
in situ, which refers to abnormal cells present, however, these cells have not spread to nearby tissue, localized, where cancer is limited to the place where it started with no sign that it has spread, regional, where cancer has spread into nearby, nearby lymph nodes, tissues, or organs, distant, where the cancer has spread to distant parts of the body, or unknown, which means that there's not enough information to figure out the stage. In hepatocellular carcinoma, staging is more complex than in most other cancers. And to date, mainly due to the unique geographic characteristics of the disease, with the majority of patients in Asia, no universally accepted staging system exists to stage this disease. The reason why tumor staging is more complex in hepatocellular carcinoma than in most other cancers is due to the fact that the extent of liver dysfunction has a major impact on survival, sometimes more than the tumor itself. The complexity of tumor staging in this disease also translates to the prognosis estimation and the choosing of treatment options for patients with the disease. To help the staging of hepatocellular carcinoma, multidimensional staging systems, which include both the extension of the tumor and liver function, have been developed. To learn more about staging of cancer, visit Ongazine.com. The interview you've just heard was Dr. Gisela Schwab, President, Product Development and Medical Affairs, and Chief Medical Officer at Excellus, was originally recorded on January 31, 2018. For us here at the Oncosine Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners and underwriters, for your ongoing support. Thanks to your support, our program now has a wider reach. Our program can be heard in Arizona on KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state as well as via iHeartRadio in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange. And you can also download our program via iTunes. Later this month, UK Health Radio will also start broadcasting our program in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe. We know that based on this interview, you may have questions. So please submit your questions to our editorial team via email, Facebook or Twitter. We'll post as many answers as we can on our website, oncozine.com. That is O-N-C-O-Z-I-N-E dot com. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is the Ongesin Brief. The Ongesin Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofland, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wynn, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by Inpress Media Group. Support for the Oncozine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949-923-1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it. <laughs>